This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. the studio with a very dear friend of mine. His name is Bobby Shu. He is a wonderful trumpet player, great teacher, a mentor to me and many, many other great musicians all over the world. He's originally from New Mexico. He's lived in Los Angeles. He's lived in New York. He's been all over the world countless times, and we're just so happy to have you in the studio with us. Thank you, Gordon. Nice to be here. Rather than listen to me, can you just tell us something about your, your early life and your first your musical experiences, and then just um, you know, some of the great, great stories that you have? In 25 words or less. In 25 words or less. (laughs) Well, the good news for me is that uh, 12 years old, some guys in my neighborhood, uh, seniors in high school and and adults and so forth, they were forming what they called a dance band, and they needed a trumpet player. And I was always uh, pretty good for my age, and I could read easily, so... They said, well, this, this kid lives behind me. Let's call him. He can. I think he can play one of the parts in the thing. So they called me and said, and this is a little funny, but he said, uh, uh, we're, we have a dance band. Would you like to play it? And I said, gee, I, I'd love to, but I don't know how to dance. I didn't know what a dance band was, you know. And I thought, boy, they thought, why well, are we going to ring her here, you know. Mopping up soda pop rickies to our heart's delight. But so anyway, we went out, and this is like Glenn Miller music was new in those days. You know, this is like 1952, 53, around there. So it's the first time I saw a set of drums and this and that, and it was fun. And I mean, wow, this is very interesting. You know, not marches and stuff and concert band. No McDonald had a farm and so forth. However, uh, on, on one of the breaks, uh, the baritone saxophone player uh, and the rhythm section, they started improvising they were jamming or something you know and i didn't have any clue what they were doing so i wanted to go over and see what the music looked like immediately when i got over there of course everybody kind of tony the baritone player had his eyes closed and he was wiggling around and kind of you know this thing you know he was into it yeah and so i thought what in the world and i looked and there was no music on the stand and so when he stopped uh, i said hey tony where's the music he said oh no we don't use music we make it up in our heads and i went are you kidding me? That's legal? You can do that? And I never heard of such a thing, you know, improvising. Because music had always been passed on to me, like, here's your part, play it, and don't miss any notes. So anyway, when, uh, and the beauty of being 12 years old, and you have this wonderful naivete that that's there. And so I just said, well, gee, can I try that? And so I went and got my horn. He said, yeah, you can take a solo when Kenny finishes. Oh, it's called a solo. Hey, my big vocabulary knife for me, all this stuff, you know. Anyway, I just listened to the rhythm section, and there was a beat there that I could sense and quite easily feel. And then I found out later they were playing a blues, so that's essentially three chords, as you know. And I just listened to them, and there was a rep- repetitive kind of 
form to it. So I picked up my horn, played a few notes to figure out what key they were in, and I started playing notes that fit with the sounds that I heard from these chords and that rhythmically felt like what the bass and drums were doing. And I was improvising. So I, I just closed my eyes because Tony had his eyes closed. <laughs> and I thought that was part of what you were supposed to do. So they had to stop me. Somebody had to wake me up. I was in like this out-of-body kind of a trance I was, you know. And that kind of thing happens when you get into that creative state. You know, you really get a an ethereal kind of a, of sensation, almost like some sort of a buzz of some sort, you know. But I was in this this trance of some sort. Next thing I know, they're yanking on me, tapping on me, trying to trying to stop yeah, you wouldn't I just went on The other thing about it is, uh, about the story was that we finished the rehearsal and then I got in the car with this senior in high school trombone player whose, our backyards were adjacent. And as we got in the car to go home, he said to me, boy, you must listen to a lot of jazz records to play solos like that. And I said, what's a jazz record? I had never heard one. But then once he, I played it, my mom had a Harry James 78 called James Session. And I had heard that a couple of times, and she played a lot of Guy Lombardo music and things of that sort. But I wasn't really exposed to jazz at all, really. You know, this was dance music of the of the 40s and stuff. So Jimmy, the trombone player, we went to his house, and we went into his bedroom, and the first record he put on was the first Dave Brubeck quartet record, on I think on Fantasy or something like that. It was a red vinyl record, and the first thing that caught my ear was the sound of Paul Desmond's alto saxophone. It was so pure, and I went, oh my God, I'm just falling in love with the saxophone, you know? He played two tunes from that, and then he played two tunes from a Stan Getz record, and then the sound of Stan, what a better, more beautiful sound on tenor than Stan. It's a great place to start. And then he played two tunes by J.J. Uh, Johnson on the trombone. And, I mean, I was, like, stunned, really. I mean, literally stunned, I would say. And I just kind of floated home after that, and I could hardly sleep. I had all this thing going on in my head. That's really powerful. So uh, the next day after school... My parents were at work. I came home, and I had this great big basketball-sized piggy bank that I'd had since I was a little kid. I took a hammer and broke it open <laughs> and started rolling coins. And I got on the bus and took the bus downtown to this one record store, a music store, that had a section of records. And I went in there, and I looked for those and found those same three albums that he had played for me the night before. Then it was just bring them home and start listening. And I, I swear to you, I listened to nothing but those three albums for hours every day, kind of, whenever I could. And I tried to play along with them. Well, I couldn't keep up with those guys at 12 years old, but but I could try. And it wasn't a matter of whether I could or not. It was whether I was willing to try. That's the important thing. So I did, uh, and I pretty much, within a couple of weeks, I would say I could pretty much sing every note on in my head that was on those wow, records, you know. That's great. Uh, so as a, as a teenager, you were already playing professionally in, in Albuquerque. So th- what was that like? Well, it was great. I mean, my first gig was 12 in that band that I played with. It was a wedding reception about three months, two months before my 30th 
13th birthday. The funny thing on the side of it, I had no idea what playing a gig really was. We just went out and played for a dance for a wedding reception, you know. Of course, everybody on the band was adults. There were a couple of high school kids, and all they were all older men, you know. And the people that, that in the wedding uh, couple, I guess, or whoever was putting it on, they had a big... Um, wash tub full of beer in the back room where we kept our cases and that was for the band you know and I'm going wow they give you beer and stuff you know <laughs> and and I'm just, I was like 12 you know so I thought nobody's looking I think I can have a beer you know so I snuck a beer you know and and told this was great man I'm sneaking a beer and playing and this music is cool and people are dancing I was thrilled you know and then the the band leader of course, I had to ride with somebody because I was that age. I had to be chaperone. I didn't know. I didn't, didn't even barely could walk, you know. But uh, they uh, said after the gig, he said uh, they had this thing called pizza pie. He and the guy said to me, he says, "You want a piece of pie?" And I said, "Sure, I'd like a piece of pie." I thought he said piece of pie, and I thought, well, you get a beer, and the guy gives you a piece of apple pie or something. What a nice thing this is, you know. So we piled in this car and we went to this place called Lucky's Pizza. It was a Real Sicilian pizzeria, you know, and I'd never even heard the word pizza. And we went in there, and I went, what's that smell, you know, and all the garlic and all the sauce and everything. I went, ooh. So they brought this thing out, and then I had a couple slices of pizza. I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, you know, with a beer and pizza pie. And I went, oh, my old. God, 12. I went home. My mom was going to kill me. I smelled like beer and pizza, you know. <laughs> but... But the funny thing was when we when we were leaving the restaurant, uh, the band leader reached over. He paid the tab and everything, and then he says, "Bobby, put your hand out." So I put my hand out, and he dropped some coins into my hand. And I looked down; there was eighty-five cents. I went, "What's this for?" He says, "You did a good job tonight." And I got eighty-five cents. We get beer, pizza, and eighty-five cents. I have definitely arrived in heaven, you know. And then I found out we were supposed to get four bucks. I got burned on the first okay. night. I was introduced to the truth of the music business on the first night. I can't believe it. Oh, geez. It was, yeah, uh, that was a, that wasn't a uh, foreshadowing of things to come. I hope. No, but then at 15 years old, there was a steakhouse called the Sunset Inn in Albuquerque, and uh, it was six night a week gig from nine until 1:45. And you know there were just no trumpet players around. There were some classical guys, but they couldn't. They couldn't play anything without a piece of so paper. So, how did your they, family feel about you being out, or you know, at night, six nights a week? Or how did you reconcile that with your schoolwork and your your well, daytime I, life? I went to. I was always a fast student in school, and it was school was for the most part boring to me. It was too easy. I mean, there was no challenges really. I was always good with grammar, spelling, stuff, math. Everything was real easy for me. Of course, my stepfather could care less. My mom was concerned about it, except that she was really proud of my success as a player. So they signed, I had to get a, f a form signed because of the police thing, you know, and underage and all that. And I had to ride with the drummer, who was my chaperone for the most part. And, of course, I wasn't allowed to drink, and I didn't. You know, it was it was not that important. What was great about it is that I, I went to work, and I played, and I learned tunes. And plus, at the same time, in the ninth grade, I was picking up other instruments, too. I picked up an alto sax and started... That was really so much easier than the trumpet. I couldn't believe it. You know, you could learn to play an alto sax in about twenty minutes. You know, it's not don't, that don't tell a saxophone player that. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's other things once you get past the beginning stages. But so I was taking the saxophone and the trumpet to the gig and standing up playing. Then I took French horn. I was playing Sacy Bone on the French horn, mm -hmm. and 
And I started learning all these different instruments, and I would carry like two loads of instruments into the club. I'd have like nine or ten instruments on there, you know, playing different things. And that was really good for me, too. But the trumpet was still the dominant instrument, obviously. And um, so I did that uh, when, whenever I had to get out for a school concert or an event. I could get somebody to cover it, you know, uh, or miss the first set or something. But era was it in ninth grade, making 90 bucks a week. You know, there was a lot of money in those days, you know. And so I spent pretty much all of it on records. Occasionally a Tootsie Roll, but mostly on, on records. Je ne sais pas si l'année est de plus blonde, mais de plus belle, il n'en est pas pour moi. Elle est vraiment toute la joie du monde. Ma vie commence dès que je la vois. Et je fais oh, et je fais ah. You've been listening to a conversation with Bobby Shue. On our next show, we'll pick up with his career in the Army. This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. Visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com. Jazz Insights is produced by WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta, Georgia. Les passants dans la rue nous envient C'est si beau de guetter dans ses yeux Un espoir merveilleux